Beautiful people, here we are, another one of our bonus episodes. My name is Cal Spellman, welcome. And you are in for a treat because on today's bonus episode, it's a double whammy. Lucky for you guys. Oh yes, we've got an extra chat with designer and writer Kevin McLeod, as well as more musings with actor Uan Rayon. First up, let's dive into more home truths with Kevin. See what I did there? Home, just here you are. You always had a real intrigue and, I guess, like passion for the environment, I guess, and our place in it. Yeah, yeah, because I've always done stuff like plant trees and, and I've always loved nature since I was a kid. As, I mean, as a kid, I was a bit of an outsider, a bit of a loner, and I always liked the comfort that nature gave me and the beauty of it. And I think, you know, my, some of my earliest memories are just looking at clouds, just lying on my back in the garden, looking at the sky and being among trees. And I just... I always found it incredibly comforting and I always felt as though I was kind of part tree. You know, if you were, you know, people say, oh, if I were an animal, I'd be a jaguar or I'd be a cow. <laughs> and I always thought, no, I'd be, I'd be part tree. <laughs> oh, Kevin, you're speaking my life. I mean, I say this in most episodes, I love a good tree hug. I tell everyone to go and do it. And that is yeah. you're speaking to my soul. There's a great book called The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Waldman. I don't know if you've I, come across I, I've that. I've read it and I <gasps> love that book. Beautiful, isn't it? That's one of my favourites. The stories of, of the way in which trees speak to each other and the communities between them and the fact that they are sentient and they communicate and they look after each other. The fact yeah. that, you know, a, a lone tree on a rocky outcrop can be fed by a tree 500 metres away in the ground. Yeah. I mean, I also love the fact that trees don't like hugs. You know, the fact that they, <laughs> they've got this inch-thick bark, you know, and it's like well, they don't mind being hugged. But they'd rather be tapped or they'd rather be kind of shouted at, you know. They're kind of, yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of more robust than we are. They're around for longer, sometimes hundreds of years. They're moving at a slower pace than we are. But they are moving, nevertheless, they're growing and shaping and, and they're connecting. And, um, and we're just this sort of transient annoyance you know, passing through. <laughs> Isn't it? So true. Um, well, listen, we, we, we could probably say speaking about trees for the whole episode, but we won't because we're, we're here to dig into quite um, an interesting topic of conversation for myself. I think it's one that we kind of generally have an awareness of, but maybe don't know too much in detail about, which is kind of our homes and the building of them and what goes into them. And we couldn't think of a more better uh, expert to join us than you, Kevin. Um, well, so thank, thank you. you. I, I, I probably feel more comfortable talking about trees than I do about houses. But yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. And and I wanted to begin by kind of I don't know if you found this. I always think the certain things that almost tell you how we've grown as far as our understanding of what's happening to the climate, our place in it, and the things we can do in. And if you look at your series, Grand Designs, as someone who's kind of followed it for as long as I can remember, it's been interesting that in the last I'd say five to seven years in particular you really notice the increase in wanting to have sustainable buildings for using sustainable materials, the eco side of these buildings. Is that something you've noticed as well, that actually as the conversation's grown, so is people's will to want to work with nature rather than against it? Yeah, and I think also 20 years ago when we when we started filming in 1997, so 25 years ago, so when we started in the first series with a green building and we did one every series for about five years, you know, it was out there, it was on the fringe, it was just another eccentricity almost. And when you think of the way that the government now talks about sustainability and commitment to offshore energy, and uh, uh, it's become a common parlance. You know, we, everybody talks about, we have COP26. Climate change is an issue which everybody admits affects them and, and understands that there are implications. So I think 
Yeah, it's moved from fringe to mainstream to every day, actually, almost. And so it's normal to put in, in our projects, mechanical ventilation, heat recovery, MVHR, heat pumps, super insulation, yeah, whatever it is, you know, new, the new hybrid solar panel, the latest tech that the experimentalists yeah. that we film are going to do. Cause, or even the house, <laughs> like last series, we had a house which was buried into the ground. It had no inputs. You know, it, it was a zero energy house. It just used the heat of the earth and the sun and, um, you know, stored in the earth. So all this stuff, it's our job, it's our responsibility to cover, to show, because it represents not what we're going to be building in 10 years or 20 years, but maybe in 30 years. And if you said to me then, 20 years' time, 25 years' time, what are our homes going to be like? You know, what are developers going to be building? I, I would say, well, they're going to be doing this. They're going to be doing really cool ecological stuff. And actually, developers are just producing the same old little boxes. And meanwhile, um, what has happened mm -hmm. is that housing associations and local authorities have produced social housing, which is really avant-garde. I was down near Brighton two weeks ago, and um, I was with a company who produce off-site manufactured, prefabricated volume houses, like whole buildings, you know, that they crane into position, you know, like four units get bolted together. And they have a contract now with the local authority. Oh, wow. And the local, I met the bloke from the local authority, he said, said, we have a responsibility as a local authority to show people what the future is. It's not our responsibility to toe the line and be the last to join the queue. Our job is to be right out there building super sustainable housing. And I thought, blimey, yeah, you're right. And it's a really toxic system we have. And I think it's it's due for dismantling, really, because I, I, I think it's just it's not conducive to good sociability or resilience in communities. It's not good for, I mean, people can't get on the blinking housing ladder. Kids you know, can't buy a home. Oh, so we need to kind of deal with this, whether it's through much more social rental. It, it needs to, it needs to, I think it needs big intervention. Yes. Do you, and how do you think, do we change that? Do we kind of maybe get that shift? You know, does it come from legislation? Does it come from actually maybe, like you say, a, a shift in cultural society of how we do things? That's a good question. And I think the answer is it is partly, partly cultural. It's how we do it. And it, we've got a tiny country with a big population relative to the size of land, I think, with the second or third most populous country in Europe. So we, we, you know, um, the land prices are inflated because it's rare. And that puts a value on things. And it, it means that the smaller builder and owner can't access plots as easily. I think as a society, I'm, I, I thought this for about 15 years, the principle of sharing is such a powerful one, because it automatically so easily reduces our carbon footprint as individuals and as households, while at the same time promoting sociability and resilience in communities. So I kept thinking to myself, if every garden, like in a, imagine a terrace, you know, you've got a terrace street and behind mm -hmm. it another terrace street. So they share this big area behind it. It's all divided into little gardens, maybe 40 gardens. Yeah. Supposing they all said, oh, we'll give up a third of what we own in that garden and we'll make one big communal garden at the back. It'll be private so we can all have our own access into that communal garden. And in that communal garden will be a shed and a sandpit, and some swings, and a barbecue. I, I, I mean, you can sort of see the, the sort of the environmental impact of that community just kind of fall away almost in the moment. So true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I wrote an article about this because uh, somebody at Bioregional said to me, okay, let me ask you this question. A the average power tool, right? It's a drill or whatever. It's called a screwdriver or whatever. Uh, how long 
how long, how much time do you think it's used in its life? How many hours does it get used for, the average power tool? Probably now when you're sat, probably not even that much. Maybe, you know, I would say throughout its lifetime, at least at least maybe it'd be on for a, a week, I guess, over the time or whatever. Yeah. There you go. I'll tell you, it's four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Yeah, because some of them never get unwrapped, right? <laughs> so, so ima- imagine in my mythical shed, in the shed <laughs> yeah. garden, we've got like two, let's say three lawnmowers, because lots of people want to cut their lawn on a Saturday morning, right? But we're not yeah. 40 lawnmowers. Three, yeah. yeah. One pair of shears. In fact, you can have a shed kitted out with the most amazing tools, like chainsaws and hedge cutters, and that all has a special swish ladders, yeah, all that stuff. And it would all get used, and it would still be so much less in terms of environmental footprint. So, um, I, I wrote this article for a magazine, and I said, like, this was 15 years ago. I wrote this article, and I said, um, the first street in Britain to do this, right? I will buy them the shed. That's my contribution, right? And have I done? Has anybody written? No, no, no one's. No one. No one. Well, I'll, I'll add into the mix. Well, I'll buy the first power drill. I'll get the. I'll, I'll. I'll stock the power drill in the shed. That'll be my contribution to this communal shed. If anyone fancies it, you know what you've got to do before you stock it is you've got to use it for five minutes. Yeah, at least, at least. minimum, minimum. And I think that that's something that has definitely become more apparent that we may be more connected than we ever have been before, but always connected genuinely person to person. Absolutely not. I think we're more isolated than ever. And like you say, now the idea of sharing for people does feel very alien and scary. Um, Just looking a bit at construction, Kevin, because I think there's a real acceptance and awareness, as we've said, that we're, we're in a climate crisis and every industry in every area needs to be trying to do their bit. One thing I've not got, and I guess this is more maybe not on a home level, a bigger scale, is particularly, say, where my hometown, Manchester, I cannot tell you how many cranes there are in the city centre and there's this real kind of resurgence of buildings being built. But this whole green building thing doesn't seem to exist. And I'm talking in its simplest form of like, why not on a side of the building create like a green wall full of shrubs and flowers that will be great for pollinators and insects? Why aren't these things now just being done and kind of actually at an accelerating rate? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, in Singapore, there's a block of flat with a wall of greenery, and it is trees. It's like wow. 25 stories of trees growing out of the building. So it is there in Norway. There's a very exciting new project, which is an 18-story building, which is a combination. Ground floor is shops and restaurants. Then there are offices. There's a hotel. And then finally, there's apartments. The entire building is made out of wood. Wow. Everything. It's laminated timber structure, laminated timber beams, floors, walls, everything. So these things do exist, and there are organizations like the Laudas Foundation in Denmark who are pouring huge quantities of money into promoting and bringing forward schemes for cities entirely made from timber with urban forests growing in them. Mm. So, goodness me, there's talk and there's stuff, and here and there there are examples, and thank goodness we're not perhaps where we were 40 years ago. But you're right, you look at mainstream construction – and you look at mainstream development and you think you, you have nothing's changed. Yeah. Nothing's changed in 60 years. You're still pouring vast quantities of concrete and steel and energy intensive materials into these buildings, huge quantities of resource. And these buildings are designed to last, what, 50 years, 40 yeah. years? You know? yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of nuts. Yeah. And quickly on materials, and I have to say it because if you go back to the, again, ancient techniques, you know, and go back to kind of 
stuff from the earth and work with nature rather than concrete or steel. I think if people started tapping into that ideology more, the game would change, I feel. Yes. And, you know, it, it reminds me, you know, last year we had a really hot summer or some spells of really hot weather. And on the radio, I was hearing people saying, oh, what can I do? You know, should I put in, uh, should I put in air conditioning, you know? And, and I sort of groan at this idea that somehow we, we're only going to solve problems by just pumping energy into buildings, you know, when actually there's some really, really straightforward solutions. I remember being told by a, an anthropologist how termites, when they build their mounds, you know, you see the great mounds in the desert. Mm. Those mounds, they don't live in them. I mean, you wouldn't build a concrete tube in the middle of the desert, and then, which is baked by the heat, and then live in that bit. You live in the ground underneath, which yeah. is cool, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Which is what the termites do. And what they do is they build a long tunnel under the ground and they have basically, they create a, create a pipe and they live along the pipe and then the pipe comes up somewhere else over yeah, there, 30 metres away. And the great big tower is basically, it's like a heating tube. The sun hits it, heats the air inside, the warm air inside rises out, sucks in cool air at the other end which comes all the way through. So basically, they're creating a yeah. natural air conditioning system. So their tube underground is kept cool and moist by this flow of constant cool air. Four feet down, the ground is about 12 degrees centigrade. So this is what people do when they build into uh, sheltered buildings. They, they take advantage of the fact that it's a stable temperature. The termites know this. We've forgotten it. And, okay, you might say to me, well, I'm not going to dig a blinking trench and put a great pipe into my house and then, you know, have all the flies mm -hmm. coming in and then it will all get septic and horrible down there. And I, Of course you're not. But I kept thinking during lockdown when it was really, really hot, there was one point I was, had, had a balcony and it was just outside a room that got really hot and it was a stone balcony. It had a stone tile on it, you know. And I thought, oh, I'll do what they do in Italy. The, you see the little old men and ladies, they come out of their house in the morning with a bucket of water and they throw it on the pavement in front of their house. And what happens is the sun heats the water, it evaporates off, and there's this thing called evaporative cooling, that when water evaporates, in order to change to water vapour, it needs to draw energy from somewhere. It draws it from the stone. So basically, it's sort of like how a fridge works, only this is just a bucket of water oh. and a paving slab. And I thought if... And we did experimentally tried this outside this room, and it was amazing, like literally... Four o'clock in the afternoon, bucket of water on the slab, took an hour and a half to dry off, and the slab went cold, and all the air coming into the building went cold. It was like, I've just made an air conditioning system out of a bucket of water. And say, yeah, anybody wow. with a balcony, or anybody, you know, with, with a, a little bit of stone or a slab, whatever, a, you know, concrete patio, whatever, can do this by a window when it gets mm. really hot. And uh, it's it sort of... There are all these solutions. I mean, the termites are telling us constantly that there are solutions which are really low-tech, um, like cross-ventilation is another one. I, and this comes back to community. Um, I had a chat with a mate of mine who was, whose flat got to like 42 degrees. And I was saying, well, open a window. He said, well, I've opened a window. Nothing happens. I said, well, open a window in the bedroom on the other side of the building, you know, so that you can get the, a cross-ventilation through. He said, it's not on the other side of the building. It's all on this side. I said, well... What about your neighbours? Can they open a window? Could you then not crack open your front door? He said, oh, no, I can't do that. He said, I, mean, I don't know who's going to come in. <laughs> said, Put the front door on the chain, crack the front doors on both sides, both open a window, and then you'll get some cross-ventilation. And it's like, how far do you have to go to kind of mm, – yeah. you know, and, and again, the termites are telling us what to do here. So it's, it's – it's, it, 
It's all there. The answers <laughs> yeah, are there yeah. for us. They're usually the most simplest things as it's well, basic aren't Basic physics a lot of it, yeah. yeah. Just want to say a massive thank you. Well, first of all, for your programming, um, but also for your time now and your words. It's been an, an incredible conversation and, and one that will stay with me. So thank you. Okay, yeah, it's been such fun. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, what a man he is. And the offer still stands on the power drill. And I love the idea of us growing our community and kind of reconnecting with each other. So I'm all for that. Right. Now over to Uan Rayon, who you may know as Ramsay Bolton from Game of Thrones. We had a lush chat about Uan's connection with nature and the bigger changes he'd like to see to help our planet. I think I'm, I've always been a huge lover of nature and being in nature. And I think as I got older, I still started seeing the damage that's being done to the planet and... I just felt that if anything I could do or use my voice or in any way to to make make a small difference, then it would be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was mainly the... the, the kind of driving yeah, behind yeah. it. And it's, it's funny because I mean, we're in London now, obviously, and that kind of connection to nature is a little bit harder to find, I think, particularly in cities. I wondered how, how have you found being in a city, you know, how do you find the ways to connect with nature when maybe necessarily you haven't got a great nature reserve, you know, at the bottom of your road, so to speak. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, funnily enough, some parts of London, I think, do have incredible mm. um, bits of nature, especially in like Hackney and around the sort of marshes area. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So I've spent a lot of time down there and I guess it's, it's so important, I think, for us to have that connection to nature and just to be able to go out and, and just see green or even if it's, or if you're down by the sea, just to go and look out of the ocean for a bit and just, sort of take a moment to breathe i think it, yeah it's, i mean it's clinically been proven to be beneficial to people's mental health yeah massively we, we actually uh, i think the episode before this one was centered around mental health and we had fern cotton on and she said the same thing you know speaking about actually particularly for her being by water really brings her a sense of stillness like and, and calmness and that like yeah moment do you know what I even mean? a little pond yeah. you know <laughs> if you can find yourself a little pond maybe a duck yeah. <laughs> it'd be lovely it's only the little things do you know what i mean that's all you need man where where would you say is the the, the place in nature that you enjoy and find that moment of calm is it is it by water or would it be more kind of you know amongst the trees or i really like being in forests yeah yeah just there's something about it i i, I love water as well you know they're obviously I love all nature, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think there's something about walking in a forest and hearing that, like the din of like birds, and um, and then something catches your eye, some movement, and you see something, and and then once you start looking, you see all this nature um, around you everywhere, and you know if you look down into the, you, know, you see all the insects and yeah, stuff yeah, everywhere, yeah. and it's there's just something about forests and just the idea that, the, that these trees are communicating with each other oh. through like fungus underground and it's <laughs> yeah. just amazing when you're in there just uh, and it just blew my mind uh, same for me I mean I, I literally I'm the, here it is my obligatory mention of go and give a tree a hug <laughs> I say it in every episode I do give a tree a hug when go I get a on, chance Ewan, man come you know. on I don't care what people think. No, it's good for the soul, isn't it? Yeah, it, it feels really, nice, really man. is. Good for the trees as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, they like it, I think. <laughs> I hope. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I always ask first. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, as well, with kind of your work, as we know, you know, it kind of brings you here, there and everywhere. And I wondered, you know, how do you find them moments to kind of stop when you're away or, or connecting with nature in, in a work sense, obviously, when you're here, there and everywhere? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it completely varies with wherever I am. If you're in a city, obviously it's a little bit harder to find that bit. But you kind of, I guess, you'd find a nice park. They're, they're always there somewhere. Yeah. 
Um, I think I was quite lucky growing up in Cardiff to have, there's a lot of green space there, which mm. was great. Um, but most cities do have it. And quite often, what I think what is fortunate is that I get to work in places where the locations are often quite beautiful. Where the, um, Recently, I've just been doing a Welsh English language um, S4C Channel 4 co-production, which was filming down in Carmarthenshire predominantly. And that was just incredible. I just had the days I had off were uh, or, or like mor- a morning off. I could just sort of go off and walk into the middle of like countryside and there was a combination of woods and open land and you know i saw deer and stuff in the morning oh. like I heard of deer running across me <laughs> like what you know what I mean? all these different birds it was, it was absolutely wonderful and then i'd go into work then so invigorated and everyone else is kind of feeling the grind a bit and i felt bad you know <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, actors just turning up for the afternoon he's been out for a walk in the countryside oh here he is talking oh, about his days yeah but then everyone got really interested in my little stories about what i'd seen so well i don't know whether maybe they were pretending but i thought i kind of felt that they, they were interested they will have been they will have been it would have been the days that got them they will have been the days you know for people that i mean i'm sure people lots do know but if you don't when you you've worked on an, uh, an incredible amount of campaigns actually with wwf and and you mentioned there about using your voice has that always been in you or is that something that you think has kind of come a little bit later on do you think i think it's always been there i just feel that it's so important i think that nothing else really actually matters if we don't fix our planet yeah it is as simple as that i think um so it's always yeah it's always been something and i think particularly for me to to work with wwf wales in particular wwf cymru because um because i, I well i can speak welsh yeah. and it's and uh, and i've care about Wales so much and I love Wales and I want to you know um but yeah it was just there's just certain things I think that we were we're able to do and I think the Senate and Cymru are listening and I think it's quite a great thing because I think with Wales we have um a country that is you know we need um tourism yeah and um I think if you cultivate tourism in a way that protects nature but also shows people how beautiful it is yeah it's an incredible thing to get into yeah we've got these beautiful coastlines amazing forests mountains that the um yeah i mean the geography of wales is incredible so i feel that that's where we need to kind of go yeah and use wales as endless resources of renewable energy it's just all there for us i mean i think i just can't see how wales couldn't be completely self-sufficient in terms of creating renewable energy and also preserving the nature that we have i think there's there's a balance there to be to be found it just yeah. needs investment and i think working with people like wwf you, you they have the you, you need to cooperate with the, the power the government the the people who are making the decisions and i think that's the platform that we have in order to do that to be able to do it i think you're so right and it's it's now the the will and the want to kind of make these things work and go actually no we do need to care for this and we do need to protect it has never been louder or stronger i wondered if you noticed that kind of over the last few years this kind of i don't know it's just been like an an outburst finally of people going oh actually maybe we do need to change the way we do things and look at kind of maybe how can we do things differently yeah i think it's slower than i'd like yeah I, I think potentially the pandemic has slowed it as well. I've, also, I feel very strongly that it's not something that you should bang down people's throats and or disrupt their lives. It's something that you need to kind of bind together in a way. But yeah. definitely feel that people, especially young people, are 
really taking this idea on board. But I mean, it makes sense because it's their future. It's their planet. They're, they're who are going to be living here when we're dead. And, you know, my son, I want him to have uh, what I had, if not better. That's what I think, you know, is, is kind of the battle because I, what, what my frustration is, is going that I actually do see this, you know, there is a wave of kind of now this will of people wanting to make the right decision, mm-hmm. but the parameters aren't created for them. And it's just such a hard thing to to force them to make, you know, to be like, well, can you create the structure where, you know, you make the decision for the people in a way because they're happy to do it. You know, but well, I believe people are, I think. Yeah, I think people are. I think people would very quickly do it. Yeah. If they could but because obviously there's a there's the powers out there that can spend a lot of money to stop you from doing that i believe in people man and believe in people can adapt these little things and if everybody it's just everybody needs to do it that's the thing and if everybody does it then you know i think even recycling in the uk needs to change it needs to clearly be like you need to divide the things i don't see how everything can go into one thing and then like what happens i don't know what happens then where does it go? Is there somebody there <laughs> siphoning through going, uh, plastic, glass? Like, every, why does every other country in the world seem to separate them, but yeah. we don't? <laughs> yeah, and again, there's another thing that and going like, clearly signpost it, label it, yeah. like, tell people, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and it'd be very easy to do. You just have a couple of bins and you stick the things in the... In... Bob's your bloody uncle. I... <laughs> People would can do that. I don't want to. I don't want to sign a you know blow on Trump here. I think me and you could solve this. I think we should get us in. Get us in power. We'll do yeah, this. I'm ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we were in power, what are some of the, the the changes you would like to see and be hoping for over the next year or two? A huge clampdown on single use plastic, obviously. Yeah. Um, and just investment in in renewable energy. I think the technology is all there. Yeah. And even like solar power now, you don't need glaring sunlight. You know, all the arguments against renewable energy are starting to become redundant. Yeah, yeah like, well, actually, go. And, and education, I think, in nature and just um, definitely concentrate heavily on not building new train lines through ancient forests yeah. and a lot of rewilding, I think. You know, there are spaces that can be rewilded and yeah. to create sort of a haven for nature at home. Don't worry, we'll, we'll be in power soon. <laughs> We're going to be so great, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he as well is another brilliant, beautiful man, but also having the chance to learn more about him and the work he's been doing in this space for a long time was really inspiring. So a massive thank you to Iwan Rayon and before that, Kevin McLeod. What a pair. Now, if you enjoyed that double whammy, please do make sure you subscribe to Call of the Wild and do leave us a review if you can. It will only take 30 seconds, but it really does help us get the word out there to more people. So thank you in advance for that. And I can tell you our next episode is out in two weeks where we're going to be looking at and focusing on the food on our plates and what that means for our planet. Thank you for listening. Call of the Wild is a fresh air production from WWF UK. The Wild is calling. It's time to act.